This podcast is from the RAND Corporation, a nonprofit institution that helps improve policy and decision-making through research and analysis. Visit www.rand.org to learn more about us and to explore RAND's free online library of more than 10,000 policy reports and commentaries. Good evening and welcome to RAND. I'm Paul Kogel, the Associate Director of RAND Health. I'd like to introduce our panelists for this policy forum on Los Angeles's homelessness crisis. Joan Tucker is a senior behavioral scientist at the RAND Corporation and a member of the Party RAND Graduate School faculty. Her research looks at the interrelationships of substance use, violence, and HIV-related risk behavior among homeless adults and youth. Peter Lynn is the executive director of the Los Angeles Homeless Services Authority. Previously, Mr. Lin was the director of Section 8 for the Housing Authority of the City of L.A. He's a member of Los Angeles Mayor Garcetti's Homeless Cabinet, the Los Angeles County Mental Health Services Act Housing Advisory Board, the Housing Opportunities for Persons with AIDS Advisory Committee, and the National Alliance to End Homelessness Leadership Council. Bill Pitkin is the director of domestic programs at the Conrad N. Hilton Foundation. Prior to joining the foundation, Pitkin was Director of Research and Planning at United Way of Greater Los Angeles, where he led a strategic planning process resulting in that organization's 10-year action plan to fight poverty in L.A. Finally, our moderator for tonight's discussion is Anna Gorman, a senior correspondent for Kaiser Health News. She worked for the Los Angeles Times for nearly 15 years. Thank you so much. I'm very honored to moderate this panel. I've been a reporter for about 17 years and often have written about the complex issues of homelessness, and I have great respect for our panelists. So we don't have much time, so we're going to jump right in and consider this really just the beginning of a conversation, and I hope that you all continue to be engaged in this conversation and in some of the solutions to address uh, the chronic issue of, of homelessness in Los Angeles County. So let's start by painting a picture of the problem. L.A. County has the nation's largest number of homeless residents, up 12% since 2013. So let's start with Peter. Tell us a little bit about the makeup of this population and what's causing this increase. So uh, just a point of clarification. Actually, New York has a higher population in general. What we have the highest is the unsheltered population. So there are 44,000 homeless individuals in Los Angeles County, and that's um, as of our last count. We just literally just completed our our 2016 count, which is our first annual count, and we won't have the results of that for a short period of time. But the data from uh, 2015 uh, indicates that uh, this is an aging population, This is a population with a a number of significant health challenges. About 30% of them report severe or serious mental health issues, uh, but 25% have substance use disorders. Another 22% have uh, physical disabilities. And many of those are are comorbid, trimorbid situations. So a a population with a lot of physical and mental and behavioral health challenges it's also a population that, unlike most of America, is largely unsheltered. So nationally, the data for homelessness uh, is about uh, 70, but 69% of the population are in shelter. And so, for example, in New York, where they have severe winters, 95% of the population that they have, 75,000 people, are actually in shelters. Extraordinarily 
deep, expensive infrastructure they have there. That's not the case in Los Angeles. Most of the people in LA are on the streets, 70% of our population. And what we've seen over the last several counts is a significant increase in the number of people who are in makeshift dwellings and vehicles on the streets. So it's a significant increase. We saw 9,500 different dwelling types of that, you know, of that, of that type uh, on, the, on, the, on the streets of the, of the county of Los Angeles, which is about an 85% increase from what we saw in 2013. The, um, the drivers for homelessness are, you know, they're, they're complex, but they're, they, they're you know, the, the economy, and the, particularly the housing economy of Los Angeles is a, is a key driver. We have one of the worst uh, housing markets in America in terms of affordability. So the gap, it's not merely that our, our housing market is expensive, it is also that our, that our poverty rate is very, very high. So under federal poverty standards, at 18%. But if you sort of factor in the cost of housing, 27% of our, of our county's residents fall into, uh, would fall into a poverty index. But the tightness of our housing market is, is another thing. There's a lot of people who are doubled up, which puts them in, in pretty, pretty exposed, fragile housing situations, which is a very, very, you know, is a driver of homelessness. And um, from, a, from a just an, an affordability perspective, the California Housing Partnership found a, a deficit of 527,000 units of affordable rental stock in the Los Angeles County rental market. So there's an enormous gap of affordability in our, in our housing market. Thank you. So one of the populations that's often overlooked is the youth po homeless population. Joan, you've done extensive research in mm -hmm. this area. What are some of the factors that lead to young people becoming homeless? And, and tell us a little bit about the scope of the problem. Sure. So in Los Angeles, youth homelessness is a, a big problem. And as you say, it's often overlooked in discussions of the homeless situation in, in L.A., um, estimates are that there are maybe as many as 4,000 youth who are homeless on any given day in the greater Los Angeles area. And we're talking about two groups here. There are um, unaccompanied uh, minors, so those who are uh, under age 18 and sort of out on the, their own uh, without a parent or guardian. And then there's transition age youth, so 18 to 24 and homeless. And that's the, the majority of the homeless youth population. Um, as Peter was saying, that for the uh, adult homeless, that most are unsheltered. The same is true for, for homeless youth, that the majority are uh, sleeping at least part of the time on the streets, squats, abandoned buildings, you know, couch surfing, and, and so forth. Um, and so are they, do they, mm -hmm. are there unique issues to them that adult homeless or older adult, older adult homeless are not facing? Well, uh, a lot of homeless youth have um, histories of abuse, so that's one issue. So in terms of service delivery, um, there's a lot of trust building that needs to, to go on um, uh, to really engage them in services. Obviously, they're younger, so there are developmental issues, so it has to be a developmentally appropriate approach to engaging them in, in treatment. Also, about 30% of homeless youth are um, LGBTQ, so lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and questioning. So um, services have to be geared to, to that very large uh, segment of the, the homeless youth population also. High rates of substance use, mental health, as Peter was, was mentioning, um, with homeless adults, the same is true for, for homeless youth. Bill, let's turn to you. There's a lot of different agencies involved in this issue, from government 
groups to nonprofit organizations, foundations have also played a big role. Can you talk a little bit about the role of philanthropy, like the Conrad Hilton Foundation, in, in addressing the homelessness crisis? And what have they been, you and, and other foundations, been able to accomplish? Uh, thank you. Um, well, I know we have some philanthropists here. Uh, I'm going to speak about philanthropy in general, and uh, particularly institutional philanthropy, a foundation like ours, which was sta started by Conrad Hilton, started the Hilton Hotels. Um, and this foundation has been uh, working on homelessness for about 20 years, uh, started in New York and worked across the country, and now focus here in our uh, hometown of Los Angeles. Uh, and I, I would say, uh, you know, one thing we do, obviously, is support great nonprofit organizations. So... LAMP, um, OPCC here in Santa Monica, other, other groups um, uh, that are doing great work um, helping end people's homelessness. Uh, but I would say kind of a, a key role is um, rather than uh, – because, because of our, the capacity we have to – you know, the money we have. One thing is, is money, but just to give you a little perspective, we're a fairly large foundation. Uh, we have an asset size of about $2.5 billion. It makes us about the 25th largest foundation, so pretty – Pretty, pretty large foundation. But it's just a little perspective. If we liquidated all of that, it wouldn't be, it would be just a little more half than the, the annual budget of the health department of the county of Los Angeles. So it's really, in the grand scheme of things, not a lot of money. So we have to be smart. And uh, so we look to be catalytic, right, to start things out, not just fill gaps. It's not going to go very mm -hmm. far. So catalytic and leverage, those are kind of two things we look for. Uh, and so the way we've gone about it is partnering. Um, and collaborating with our uh, fellow foundations, corporations, individuals uh, to, to bring our money together to coordinate it. Uh, but that's not enough. Just philanthropy itself wouldn't be enough. Uh, we really have to partner with our public sector partners who have much, you know, a lot more resources, LASA, um, our cities, our county agencies. Uh, and so one thing we've done uh, over the last four three or four years, is uh, create a, what we call a funders collaborative. Mm -hmm. um, and it's uh, in partnership with Home for Good, which is our community plan led by United Way, Greater LA, and, and the Chamber of Commerce. Uh, and we created a, 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 a kind of a pool of funding, a place where we could come together in a table where we can sit down, we can uh, share ideas, share funding opportunities, uh, have organizations apply for those opportunities, and most importantly, align the resources so philanthropic dollars are paying for things that are really needed up front. Mm -hmm. Like when somebody is, has a housing voucher to go into housing, they may need some help getting into that, uh, some moving expenses, a security deposit, a refrigerator, those kinds of things. It would be one-time expenses. So philanthropic dollars are good for that. Uh, and then coordinates with uh, housing agencies and service agencies, re uh, resources from the county, to get them health services and the other services that are needed that we've discussed. So over the last, <coughs> excuse me, over the last four years, I think there's been about $18 million uh, brought together from philanthropy, uh, and that's uh, partnered with almost half a billion dollars in public sector resources. So again, starting things off, trying to get things moving, catalyzing change, uh, and leveraging. That's really our approach. 
Excellent. Now, Peter, you mentioned that the results of the count are not yet in, but what can you tell us about the geography of the homeless population this year versus other years? Obviously, there's still a high concentration in Skid Row and a high yes. concentration in, of services, but are they moving outside of that area? And how do, you, how do you cope and deal with providing services when homeless folks are as far out as the Antelope Valley or way over here and on the west side? LA County does have one of the most uh, challenging geographies for addressing homelessness. It is a, it is a, there are densely urban areas, there are rural areas, there are uh, wilderness areas, we have deserts, forests, so we have, we have people in Angeles Forest, we have people in the Emerald Necklace, in the Riverways, we have a lot of different kinds of, of dwelling types and people uh, in them. It makes it for a very challenging, uh, a technically challenging homeless count, um, which, uh, uh, we conduct it's the most complex undertaking of its kind probably on the planet but um, but it also it also creates a, a, a significant challenge for offering people services so we work through a network of regional hubs so one of the uh, one of the funding uh, sources that uh, Hilton has invested in and many other philanthropic and public sector investors have put money into is is building out a coordinated entry system. So rather than having lots of individually funded programs, an infrastructure where we're all working off of a common blueprint, we're all working off of a common assessment tool, we're entering our data into a, into a common uh, database structure, and we're using a similar sort of matching and referral function for, for all the different service planning areas. But we have a regional hub basis mm -hmm. for that. And we've funded uh, lead agencies to to coordinate the outreach in in those in those various areas. Lhasa has an outreach uh, force of our own, and we sort of concentrate in areas that are either very very dense or they're uh, sort of um, hard to reach, like the riverways. We spent a lot of a lot of time in the riverways, particularly in this in this storm season. But it does. It, the outreach required is is really in person. You have to spend time with people. You have to get to know them. You have to get you have to engage them where they're at, and it's, a, it's it requires you know people on the street in, engaged w you know where they're at. And that in the Antelope Valley, you can find people that are quite dug in in the deserts, and and Skid Row find a similar situation with people encamped in you know right there on on uh, Winston. Back to the the count for just a minute. It, the first time I heard about it, I was kind of appalled and, and uh, surprised and amazed by the work that people are able to do. Can you just walk us through really briefly what that looks like? Um, <laughs> so so it's a, it's a, like I said, it's a technically complex undertaking. Most, most big cities have much more of a shelter infrastructure. So what they're doing is they're, they're pulling data from their data system. And that's, you know, it's a fairly straightforward process. For Los Angeles, we, there are four components. We assemble uh, on essentially an army of volunteers, and we had an extraordinary turnout from the community this year. There were, we targeted 6,000 volunteers to fan out across the county over three nights. We got 7,500 people to, to, to walk their communities. We covered 95% of the census tracts in the county of Los Angeles, which from a miles perspective is, you know, it's like a 4,700 square mile county. A lot of those census tracts are, you know, wilderness and there's not a lot of people in them. But we covered over 4,000 square miles of, you know, of census tracts from people volunteering. So they go out and they do a sort of a head count. And it's, they, they count, they tally people they see and structure types. That's cars, 
vans, RVs, makeshift dwellings, and tents. We also do, at the same time, and over a series of, of about four weeks, layered on top of that, is a demographic <laughs> survey. We're targeting 5,000 individual in-depth surveys with people across the, 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 uh, the, uh, the county. Those data are layered together so that we can get a very rich image of who the folks are. Because the first count is just a, you know, it's decapitation. It's just hash marks. The second count gives us a really rich understanding of who those folks are. Third element is the shelter count, because obviously, you know, 30% of the population are in shelter. We, f we fund or cover about half that infrastructure, so the data is pulled through our HMIS system, the Homeless Management Information System. The other set are funded through a wide variety of mechanisms, and those are all done through surveys. And the fourth element are the youth, who are very, very hard to count in any of those other ways, because usually youth who are homeless and are unsheltered are not sleeping in a publicly observable space. It's dangerous to be homeless, and it's extraordinarily dangerous to be a homeless youth, and they just don't, they don't sleep out in public. So they are on commercial rooftops. They are, you know, they are in lots of dug-in places that are off the grid. They're, they're just not accessible to our counters. So the way that we do the youth count is we have a, an observed and survey methodology. We send teams of youth out, including formerly homeless youth, and they have a survey instrument, and they talk to youth who, you know, sort of appear to be homeless, and they're in those hotspots, and they will assess them for their homelessness based on the HUD definition, because there, there are a variety of definitions of homelessness, and we have to go with the HUD's definition. You layer all of those four sets of data together in a, you know, we have a, a, a statistician demographer consultant we work with, and then that gets reported out to HUD and also it distributed out to the community. So the first week of May. That's quite a production. So <laughs> among, let's turn to a, a, another important topic on, on the homelessness issue, and that's substance abuse and mental health issues. Uh, there's obviously a significant problem um, among many of the people who are living unsheltered especially. Is what, so maybe Joan and, and Bill, you guys can, you can both take this question. What problems does that present, and is enough being done to address both substance abuse and uh, mental health issues for this population? Yeah, well, there are uh, significant health issues. As, as I think uh, Peter was mentioning, about 25% of uh, homeless individuals in L.A. have uh, substance abuse issues. They're dealing with 30% mental health. And these are comorbid conditions that people are likely to be, be struggling with, with both. And so... Um, you know, these factors are both, you know, they increase the likelihood of, of homelessness, and then the experience of homelessness, of course, can exacerbate these problems even, even further. Um, obviously, they, they pose other health risks. Um, rates of uh, HIV are associated with substance use, um, other health problems. So it, it's really a big challenge. Um, and, and a lot of uh, home and uh, the rates are even a little bit higher among homeless youth in terms of both substance use and mental health problems. Yeah, I would say, I mean, obviously, um, <coughs> you know, these issues can be a cause and they can be a consequence yeah. of homelessness. Right. Um, they can be a cause, certainly, um, mental health issues can be a, a cause of people um, ending up on the streets or in some places Peter's mentioned. Uh, you know, substance use addiction um, could be part of that, could come out later as a coping. Um, uh, and so they're, they're very intertwined. Uh, I, I think, you know, it's important to point out that, uh, you know, we have people struggling with these issues. Mm -hmm. uh, and, um, 
and, and we are paying for them, right? There is an element of people living on mm-hmm. the streets. Um, myriad of data and research shows that uh, it's much more expensive to have people living on the streets, cy- cycling in and out of the emergency room, jail, um, detox, whatever it might be, uh, and, and, and not ha- being healthy, not, not improving. Uh, it's a cost to society, a cost to taxpayers. And uh, study after study shows that that solution that's out there, I mean, the, if you're homeless, the solution is a home, housing. Uh, mm-hmm. Even though we have a high-cost market, appropriately done, uh, providing housing with the services people need uh, is going to be much cheaper and ultimately, of course, much better for those individuals. Uh, and, you know, I've, I, I get, you know, one of the best things I get to do is meet people who have benefited uh, from the programs that we support and all the work that people are doing. Uh, you know, over the last four or five years, there have been, you know, we hear a lot of the bad news, but last five years, 10,000 people who are homeless, chronically homeless, have, have, have gone into supportive housing. Uh, and 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 not everybody necessarily, but eighty ninety percent of people tend to stay in that housing, mm-hmm. and they're healthy. And meeting those people who were on the streets for decades uh, and um, estranged from family uh, have a chance to become stable, right? And um, and we believe certainly in, in housing first, which means provide that housing without those without any strings attached, mm-hmm. and allows people to become stable and deal with those issues and uh, people who are celebrating years of recovery and health and reconnecting with family. So, yes, there are big challenges, but there are solutions. So I re- did a story recently about L.A. County using health dollars to pay for housing at first model, and the state is trying to do the same thing. And I remember meeting a gentleman who had lived on the streets for m- decades, and then now he lives in an apartment overlooking the street. So he can actually see the spot where he used to live in a tent, and now he has his own apartment with a kitchen, and, and his health is so much better, and he says not, he's not going to the emergency room hardly anymore at all, mm-hmm. and he'd been there so many times in the years past. But with the high cost of housing in L.A. County, will there ever be enough uh, for to house the chronically homeless, even in this housing first model where you let people continue if you, they, they have <laughs> substance abuse issues or people are not quite ready to be in services? Um, it, will there ever be enough housing? Mm-hmm. Uh, Bill, do you want to jump in on that first? And Well, I, you know, for a long time, our foundation, we focused on building new housing units. And, and we still continue to do that. But I think over the last five years, we've realized and working with a lot of our partners, there is a lot of existing housing. Yes, we have a tight housing market, but there are housing units out there. There are opportunities we can look at. Um, Peter previously worked at the City Housing Authority and, and helped steer a lot of housing vouchers that we had and, and, and making those available for people who are chronically homeless. So we have the operating subsidies. We have housing units out there. And so this program that Anna mentioned with the health department um, where they are using dollars from the, from the health department to pay for housing because they believe so much that that is the best intervention for these people. That is the best health intervention. And with the, the health care reform efforts and Affordable Care Act, um, other, uh, the Parity Act, other policy changes, there are opportunities to, to um, redirect some funding streams. And there's a um, so that we've got a lot of work happening in that. Um, that's opened other opportunities with the criminal justice system. But it's also realizing we've got people coming back in and out of our jails. If we provide some housing, some support, maybe we won't see them as much, right? 
Um, and there's been some, some research to, to show that. Um, there's a, a research team here from RAND who's helping evaluate um, those programs and I think will provide a lot of helpful uh, data and information for us. So the weather. This year, of course, as we know, is going to be an El Nino year. We've already seen one big storm, and we probably will have others to come, if the meteorologists are correct. Uh, there are lots of people living in the, in the riverways, uh, and uh, people unfortunately regularly die out on the streets from exposure. So are, are we ready for the storms? Uh, are we, have we increased this shelter capacity enough to, uh, to cater to this population living on the streets? I'm uh, uh, going to take that one, I think. Um, so, <laughs> Good idea. <laughs> um, so the question of are we ready, I think, is a, is a really challenging one to answer. We have increased the capacity of our winter. So we add a depth of shelter to our regular shelter portfolio every winter. We add about 1,500 beds. This year, we worked with the city and the county to, to stretch that program even farther, adding about 50% more capacity. So you know, another 700 on top of that. Um, and we also are working with the county and with the city, put together a system of sort of weather-activated uh, emergency shelters that would that would spring, you know, come in, into being during storms and severe weather, and would take overflow from that shelter infrastructure, and you know, would would utilize uh, you know city and county facilities that are already existing, so rec centers and things like that. They would be turned into emergency shelter. Those would operate 24 hours during that kind of a weather crisis. Um, we have increased the capacity in our, in our regular shelter system so that we're not releasing people into severe weather. But the question of whether we're, you know, all of that doesn't cover the number of people who are unsheltered. So the, there's a real sort of, in, you know, an important question of what, you know, what the demand is, and we, we don't know. The first storm, we activated those weather, those, you know, those weather shelters, and their utilization was very, very small. So... It's a little tricky to understand exactly why that is. Peop that's well into the origin of the shelter program. People get into habits of, you know, taking the bus and, and getting into those shelters. It may be that people thought they were full. There are more encampments and more vehicles on the streets, so people may be, you know, a little better dug in and feel like they can sort of weather it where they are. It's really hard for us to understand. We have made sure that our shelter system, our infrastructure will accept people with uh, companion animals, so... There, you know, that's often a barrier for folks. They will not leave their animal for obvious reasons. Um, so we've made sure that there's, you know, there's room on the buses and there's, there's a capacity to take them in. So that I think these, you know, the next few storms is really going to give us a, a significant test of, of you, know, the, you know, the depth of, of, of how that is. We've also done a lot of work, like I said, with outreach in the, in the flood path and the riverways. So we have, uh, we have teams working with, uh, you know, LASA's emergency response team outreach workers, working with Sheriff's Department, working with uh, LAPD, with uh, California Highway Patrol, with the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, and a lot of police departments and fire departments. It, it's actually quite interesting how many different entities control portions of our waterways. But we have done, uh, we've walked all of those miles and distributed a lot of literature and moved a lot of people out. Actually, you know, we're talking about substance abuse. Our, our emergency response teams in the last two months have pulled 44 people into detox from the riverways alone based on that, that engagement. So we're just warning people about the risk of, of floods in, in, in these storms. A lot of work. The, how well we're prepared is, is I think, is, is we're going to get tested. Joan, will, will young people go to shelters in, in this environment if there are lots of rains? Or what, what will happen with the youth homeless in this wintertime 
Well, it's going to be especially challenging because homeless youth tend not to um, use adult services, even that transition age, the 18, 24-year-olds. They, they tend not to go to shelters and uh, use other services, you know, in Skid Row. They're not there. So it, it'll be interesting to see uh, what happens. So I know we're going to have to turn it over to audi the audience questions here in just a few minutes. So I want to kind of close up this portion of the panel by throwing out a question to each of you. And that is, if you had a magic wand and unlimited funds and no political opposition, what... <laughs> magic. No problem. What um, would it take? What would you do to, to make an impact on homelessness in L.A. County over the long term, both the number of homeless and the quality of their lives? Yep. And let me tack on to the end of that, and what can all of these people do? So, Joan, let's start with you. Well, I'll, I'll take the, the second part of that. Okay. <laughs> what can people do? Because I think there's a lot that we can all do that doesn't take a lot of effort, but, you know, collectively could, could have a really big impact. You know, certainly um, there's, you know, advocacy at, at all levels of government for, you know, policies and, and programs that um, are effective and, and can help homeless individuals. There's um, volunteer opportunities all over the city with agencies um, and organizations that, that serve uh, individuals who are homeless. Uh, donations are needed. Uh, there's a 5K race that to raise money and awareness for, for homelessness every year. Um, you can volunteer to be part of the youth count or the general count. So, mm -hmm. I mean, there are a, a million ways that you can make a difference here in Los Angeles. Um, so, but you don't get out of lots the first of options. Part. Magic wand <laughs> solution. Well, so so I I work with with homeless youth, and so I would use my magic wand really to expand services for them. Um, the homeless youth are, are mostly in Hollywood and here on on the west side in Venice. In Hollywood, there's this wonderful. Um, uh, uh, collection of, of service providers um, that uh, sort of, you know uh, uh, address the needs of that population. Here on the west side, I think we're, we're lack, especially lacking in services. There are some, but not enough. And so, you know, I would love to see more services for homeless youth, mo more support for um, uh, youth that are aging out of the foster care system. Thirty percent of homeless youth have foster care uh, placement history. Um, more effort on family reunification can do a lot to reduce yeah. youth homelessness. And, you know, I think a lot of these issues get overlooked, again, in the uh, discussion of uh, the homeless issue in Los Angeles. Peter? Well, if it's a single-use wand, I'd go, for, <laughs> um, I'd go for the housing stock issue. I mean, yeah. we, we need, you know, hundreds of thousands of affordable units and and that's where I would that's where I'd put it um, I mean if you think about the the depth of affordable infrastructure that a city like New York has which is less population than the county of Los Angeles they have a quarter of a million public housing units LA has fewer than 10,000 they have um, between the three housing authorities that operate there they probably have hundred and seventy thousand housing choice vouchers so we would have fewer than a hundred thousand they have a depth of, you know, senior housing through HUD, through 202 programs, through disabled pro housing for 811 programs that we, we just, you know, we have nowhere near the inventory that, that a city like New York has. And that would be, you know, it would be an enormous um, uh, attack on the, on the, the root cause of homelessness uh, to, to have 
half a million affordable housing units in our market. And Bill. So um, yeah, I certainly agree on the housing. I think um, the you mentioned the no political opposition. I, I, I do have to mention, I mean, we have been working on this space for a long time, and, and we feel there's never been more agreement um, and collaboration across the city and the county and different entities. Um, yesterday, one of the county supervisors, uh, Mike Antonovich, who's not always seen eye to eye with his colleagues uh, over the years, uh, said, we used to be fragmented. We're, we're on board on homelessness. He wrote an op, uh, something that was online at the LA Times. We agree. Um, he agrees with his really liberal, you know, colleagues on, on the board. So even there, there's agreement. Um, the city and the county are working together. So we're hopeful about that. We, the resources, I mean, it's housing. Housing is the solution with appropriate services. Yeah. I think, um, but I'll go even farther in terms of, you know, the magic wand, cause since it's there. Uh, you know, we need, um, there are fundamental things about opportunity. And, um, you know, because we have seen success in helping 10,000 people get housed, but the problem is still there, and it's still increasing in some ways. So there's something about opportunity and poverty and education. We have six and a half million youth in this country um, that are in this transition, you know, 16 to 25, who are not in school or working. What's going to happen, you know, with with that with that cohort of of, of young people um, if they don't have economic opportunity, school? Um, so that's the magic wand would be you know, helping the population now, but we have huge issues going forward. Um, and what you can do, I mean, I, I, I've heard there's an election happening this year, um, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, nationally, but locally. And there's these plans we've referenced. The city and the county have announced big plans. Um, they're slated to uh, take those to the Board of Supervisors next week and the city council. Uh, we've, we've been good about using the resources over the last five years, coordinating the resources we have, in the system. We've gotten a lot better about that between philanthropy and the public sector. But it's not enough. And so there need to be new resources. And I think what that's going to mean, the state is also talking, it may need, mean they're talking about some, some bonds, some other measures to raise resources. So that is going to be on probably uh, out there locally as well. So um, as citizens and voters, we will have an opportunity to weigh in. So it sounds like there's a lot of work ahead, but it sounds like there's also a lot of hope in collaboration, investment, ideas, movement. Uh, so I encourage you all to get involved. So now we are going to turn it over to the audience participation portion of the panel and of the event. Uh, so I'm going to hand it back over. Uh, good evening. Uh, we do welcome and appreciate your questions. Uh, just a note, a reminder that we are recording so we appreciate if you wait until myself or my colleague will come to you. We ask you to raise your hand, and we'll get around to as many people as we can. Thank you. You said that many of the homeless are coming to Los Angeles or your count is going up. If part of the reason, could it be that they are migrating here from other parts of the country because the weather is good? And they feel it would be better? So uh, I actually and didn't if so, say, yeah. what process is it, and how many of them are veterans and things like that? Yeah. So I didn't say people are coming here. We are, we're generating a homeless crisis of our own. We ask uh, a few different questions that get at this, because this is one of the things that people say, is that people are coming here to be homeless, and that, that is not the case. Um, Ninety... 3% of the folks who have been, or homeless have been homeless here for a year. 
if you um, so if you look at we, you know if you look if we ask people you know how long have you been in Los Angeles County, and how long have you been homeless? The overwhelming majority of folks are are from Los Angeles County and they've been here. So we have a you know we have about uh, seventy percent uh, who are. Uh, here in Los Angeles County were born here or have been here more than 10 years. We have another group of people, um, uh, you know, fewer than, uh, you know, fewer than a, uh, five years, but you get, you get up to 93% before you're down to, like, fewer than a year. And the overwhelming majority of people are from Los Angeles County, and we've got, a, you know, we've got about 15% who are not. And they're mostly from surrounding counties, and a few of them are from, you know, are from, you know, out of state. But it's a, it is a, this is a homegrown problem. Veterans, a question um, here in front. Veterans are about twelve percent. It was like, actually it was about ten percent. Ten percent. Ten percent in the last. In and the last and that that is one area where we've seen a, a decline nationally. About a third. Um, it's been a huge emphasis nationally on housing vet, uh, homeless veterans, and uh, a lot of resources put behind it. So that's right. Uh, we've actually, seen a lot of movement where we've seen declines has, has been among veterans. I, I think, I mean, that's actually one of the tremendous American success stories in addressing homelessness. And if you look at, you know, if you plot the investment trajectory of federal, you know, housing choice vouchers that are bonded mm -hmm. to VA services, VASH vouchers, the investment in that and the, and the numbers of veterans who are homeless, and they, they just do a nice, lovely X. This is a clear, this is a problem that, that responds to investment. As long as we're talking about veterans, could you tell us what's happening at the Westwood VA? Because it seems to me we could go a long way towards solving the Los Angeles veteran problem on that property. You're asking me? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I would really rather punt on that. They're, the master plan is out. They have, you know, they have targeted 1,200 units. They're, you know, the VA is 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 out looking for, um, you know, looking for comment and looking to engage with the community. They're they're definitely in, 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 in interested in investing units of permanent supportive housing and, and housing on the campus. All right, we've got a question here on your right. You've talked about putting people into housing. Um, how long do they stay and how many actually end up getting a job and being able to support themselves? So, so we, we talked about a couple of different populations and I can, I can give you uh, statistics from a few different sets of data, one pulling from my former job and one pulling from my current job. If you look at our, uh, we have programs that target the homeless, including chronically homeless, for very, very ill folks and people who are, you know, just homeless and don't need as the depth of services. And with programs like that at, this, at the Section 8 program at the Housing Authority of the City of Los Angeles, the attrition rates for the people in the homeless programs were lower than the general population Section 8 attrition rates with the exception of the VASH program. The, the veterans program had a higher attrition rate. The turn, there was more churn in that program. But if the, you know, the turnover rate in the general population was about a little less than 5%, and the turnover in the homeless programs was less than that. And the, there was a piece of positive attrition in those programs of people earning their way out on, and, and leaving permanent supportive housing using other means. So there was a, you know, part of that exit is, if, now, if you look at the, sort of the, the other end of the scale, we have rapid rehousing programs which have largely been targeted for families because that's where the resources that we had were. 
In the last full year that we had, we put 1,046 families into rapid rehousing, which is a tapering subsidy. So you get assistance moving in, you get some supportive services, but after a short period of time, you're on your own to pay that rent. The attrition rate in that program was about 6.5%. And this is a very tough economy in a very tight housing market. So people do stay. It, it, I mean, housing works, and, and people take advantage of it. It's a very effective intervention. We've got a question over here. Fortunately or, or unfortunately, we're from Long Beach, California, which is a hop, skip, and a jump from L.A. And we keep hearing about the homeless counts, the homeless count. We do our own. So when are we going to pull it together, whether it's L.A. County or Long Beach City um, and the other surrounding cities? When are we gonna, who's going to pull it together for all of us to say, hey, let's stop this? Because we're just you know, patting each other on the back going, oh, you're doing a great job, you're doing a great job. But nobody's pulling us all together to make it all happen. So my question is, who's going to do that for us, since we can't do it ourselves? Um, I don't want to take all of these. Well, so <laughs> uh, I think a couple of things. So uh, Peter's agency covers m almost all of LA County, uh, except we, for mm -hmm. Long Beach, Glendale. We, we yeah. do actually Pasadena. cover we cover Long Beach for some things. We don't cover yeah. it for federal programs, right. so like the count. Right? But they, and then, then I think when you issue your reports, they will include the counts from those yes. few cities yes. to we give were, us a number for the whole the county. county. Yeah. Uh, as far as coordination, uh, you know, this effort that I mentioned, um, you know, Home for Good, yep. which is a, a public-private partnership, um, includes you know city, cities, Long Beach, the folks there participated. Um, that is a place where that can happen. Um, the, the city and the county, the county obviously covers the whole the whole county, are are coordinating on these plans that they've they've issued. Um, but we certainly, you know, we, we believe it's all of us. So Home for Good is a good place to do that. Um, I think it was mentioned before. Uh, anybody gone to Home Walk, which is a 5K walk um, in November, mm -hmm. a few people. Yeah. Uh, if you don't know about it, it's every November down at Exposition Park. It's a place where people come together and walk and raise money. All that money goes into this funders collaborative. So um, usually about $500,000 that goes right, yeah. into and, uh, right out to agencies that are helping house people. Um, and that, that's certainly for the whole county. All right, we've got another question here on your right, way far over here. About, about two, a month or two ago, I read in the LA Times that the CEO of the Midnight Mission downtown identified three properties that the county now owns and would house thousands of people on the street. Does anybody, did anybody pick up on that? I'm not so, aware of that. You know? mm -hmm. So uh, that is, an, there, is, there are definitely inventory of property uh, conversations that are going on right now. The use, property use is a big portion of, uh, you know, the uh, city and the county strategies in terms of inventorying what, uh, what's available in their own inventories, but also looking at land use questions. And, and this is definitely an active question. So the city of New York was mentioned a couple of times as a place that seems to provide more or services to more people, at least, and possibly better services. Uh, I'm wondering what prevents L.A. from doing the same? And related to that, um, what is the situation like in international cities uh, in the rest of the developed world? Uh, what is the scope? Does it compare to what we have here, and what approaches do they have to the problem? I think the rest of the development world is horrified by our approach to uh, poverty in America. Um, New York 
does not do a better job than we do. We place far more people into housing than New York does. New York spends an enormous amount of money people, keeping people homeless. So they spend more than $800 million on that shelter infrastructure. We do a far better job of housing people. All right, we've got another question uh, right here in the front of you. In your earlier presentation, you mentioned about the overwhelming need for housing, but you did not address the substance abuse and the psychological needs. Could you please tell what is being done in those areas? Well, I think we, we tried to address that. that. That happens in the context of, of getting people stable into housing. And what you do is permanent supportive housing means a housing unit with the services attached to it. And so that would, whether it's you know substance use services or uh, mental health services. So in this funders collaborative that we've created, we've got those different, we've got the health department, we've got the mental health department, we've got the public health department in LA that, that provides substance use services. So it's coordinating it together. So that would happen there. Sometimes it might happen on site if it's a building, um, or they may be connected to a primary care um, physician uh, or, or clinic. Um, and that's how they would, they would and it's, and it's got to be individualized. There's not a one-size-fits-all. Um, and, you know, we really believe, I mean, and the partners we work with believe in, you know, people have to be ready. You have to meet them where they're at. Um, it may not happen right away, but over time they're going to access those services uh, if they want to get healthy. And, again, meeting people who reconnect with their kids that they haven't seen for years, so, and addressing those, those challenges. Yeah, there's also freestanding clinics, freestanding health clinics and Department of Mental Health Services clinics and, and substance abuse providers that even people who are continuing to live on the streets are accessing on an outpatient basis. But just to follow up on what Bill was saying on the, the housing first, I mean, there have been a number of evaluations of, of that model across the country, and there's such good evidence that it, it's better than other housing models that require people to maintain sobriety for a certain period of time before getting into housing. And so it's really, you know, it's, there's a reason why it's being embraced by the, the city and the county as a, the model that they want to go with. We have a question here. First of all, I want to thank you all for the work you do for the homeless. A quick observation, then I'll get to my question. It's interesting that, Bill, you've got capital, and you're looking for solutions, and Peter is looking to logistically move the situation so people can function within it, but I don't find solutions in it. I'm not trying to say you're not making solutions, but the discussion has been logistically what you're doing to help the people. But what my question is, is about affordable housing. The governor took away re redevelopment. The shortfall for developers isn't there anymore to come up with the money to provide the housing. Section 8 is busted. So why doesn't, as an example, your group, the foundation, make public awareness as to why we should support homelessness, housing, vouchers, whatever they are, nonprofits, to yeah. create more awareness that the public would support more financial aid that would take care of this problem, because we're not. It's, we're leaving it to the politicians. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the elimination of the redevelopment agencies um, done several years ago you know, was a big hit to the affordable housing, um, really slowed down the development of new affordable housing. There have been several attempts to um, policy groups that that we do support um, have been working on several solutions, in, including like a, uh, a recording fee on re real estate transactions that would pay for housing uh, fund at the state. 
Unfortunately, it um, been, hasn't been successful, uh, failed by a couple votes. Um, now we've had uh, a few, few weeks ago the sta uh, state, uh, group of state senators um, uh, and assembly persons were in L.A. and announced a, a $2 billion um, kind of bond that they want to connect to the Mental Health Services Act, which was um, Prop 63 years ago to help uh, fund mental health services, but also provides housing. Um, so they're trying to use the resources there. Um, you know, we, we do support advocacy and, and groups that are working, again, at the local, the state level. And I think there will be some proposals um, from the city to look at how do we increase the available housing um, supply. Because we do, there's nothing to replace that, th those significant resources that were provided by redevelopment. Thank you. I, I, we did have another question over here. Yeah, I was reading in the L.A. Times today about this proposed ballot initiative that would be basically a moratorium on development. And I saw a letter from uh, Father Gregory Boyle that said he withdrew his endorsement primarily because they needed more housing for the homeless. I was wondering if you have any view on that, because I know there's even talk about that now, or do you think there is a real need for developers to participate and that a moratorium might not be effective in helping to deal with the uh, housing uh, crisis that's in here in Santa Monica and all over. So what's your opinion about that uh, ballot initiative moratorium? Vote against it. <laughs> okay, we have a question over here. Hello. So you've spoken a little bit about the agreement and collaboration that can be done to end houselessness, and I wanted to ask what can and is being done to uh, bolster the empathy, you know, agreement and collaboration that the community has? How can we go out into the community and kind of create a more embracive attitude or an empathetic attitude towards the houseless population? And how can we create an attitude towards the houseless population that would abet this, you know, ending of houselessness? I think actually that's where we come in a little bit as, as the media. I mean, I think that the work that my former colleague Steve Lopez did a few years back about homelessness and mental health issues that they ended up producing a movie, The Soloist, he wrote a book. I mean, I think his work alone raised a ton of awareness and empathy for the lives of people who are living on the streets, especially with mental health issues. So I think that the media has a big role to play in raising awareness and in uh, connecting people with real stories and introducing you all to people who you would not otherwise meet in your daily lives. So I just uh, we're we're trying to get to everyone. We're starting to run out of time. We so appreciate everyone's passion about uh, this topic. Uh, I, we do have a question here, but I think we only have one or two more. So I've got one right here. So most of the old County USC Med Center is empty. There's just a wellness center now, I believe, on the first floor. What's the feasibility of taking that structure and retrofitting it into a housing? for the homeless and supportive services? So I'm not a developer, um, <laughs> but you know, I, often those things are quite expensive and it's actually you know, more cost effective to knock them down and, and you know, rebuild. But um, I think you know, those are the kinds of things that we need to do. So I know the, the county is looking at, not that, that facility hasn't come up, but they've looked at some of their other facilities near there. Um, I think there was like a, a, a residence for 
might have been nursing students or something on the county campus that they have been looking at trying to develop into housing units. So they've been looking at that stock, um, was, as was mentioned earlier. But I, I would imagine that particular development and with the earthquake and retrofitting would be pretty expensive, be my guess. Okay, we have one more here. And thank you so much for your um, very enlightening discussion tonight. I was uh, listening to the radio the other night when uh, Gavin Newsom from the he's a lieutenant governor, well, you call it lieutenant governor, uh, of, of uh, California and previous mayor of San Francisco, I believe. Yeah. And he talked about a program they called uh, Cash Not Care. And I guess they were a uh, concept that behind that was instead of giving cash to these people that are homeless, they would actually create uh, housing for these people as well as services, which sounds like... Um, uh, the direction that you're going. And he talked in terms of tremendous improvement in the San Francisco homeless population. But he also said something that I thought was very uh, poignant, in that he said, once you get on the street, your uh, uh, person's um, perception of themselves, uh, they deteriorate very, very quickly. So the important thing to him was to prevent them from coming on into the street, onto the street in the first place, mm-hmm. by doing things like, yes. How do you do? You think that the San Francisco model has uh, something to help us in this, in in our local problems? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, Bill referenced earlier the uh, the housing for health program locally was built on a team that uh, actually was you know essentially imported from San Francisco and and using health dollars to house folks. I think prevention is really important. I, I, obviously, there are fundamental economic preventions that we need, including you know affordable housing and and jobs, m- mental health services, substance abuse treatment. You know, those are those are the key prevention. Prevention from an, like an intervention perspective is is really is really tough. There's not a lot of good data that says spend money this way to prevent somebody from becoming homeless. Um, there's a lot of good information about you know picking people back up once they're homeless, but the, you know the prevention piece is tough because you know folks who present in a crisis often will resolve their own crises, and you know interventions then are not helpful. And are certainly not cost effective. So that that's it's very very tough from a from an information perspective, but it is a hell of a lot cheaper than rehousing people. And the and you know our realities are socially constructed. Once you're houseless, to use the gentleman's phrase, which is a you know it's an important distinction there because folks have roots. They are intentional about where they don't have a residence. Once you're in that space. You, I mean, you would be shocked to see how ignored and vilely treated you are by everybody else. And to be ignored, you know, like has a tr- devastating impact on the your on your perception of yourself and your and your self worth. It's it's devastating. There's also prevention necessary for the people who are also on the brink, the the ones who are not living mm-hmm. on the streets. But I've met lots of yep. these people over the years who are jumping from person's house to person's house to from relative's house to relative's house. They're getting evicted all the time, and yep. they are just po- holding it together as best they can so they don't become homeless on the streets. Mm-hmm. And so I think there is a, a big need to also intervene for those folks in addition to the people who have, who have already mm-hmm. um, crossed over to, to living on the streets. 
So I'd like all of you to join me in thanking the panel for a really stimulating discussion. And thank all of you for your very thought-provoking questions. This presentation is provided as a public service by the RAND Corporation. To learn how you can attend programs at RAND, visit us online at www.rand.org events.